0: Let's pray together. Almighty Father, we thank you for your kindness and your patience towards us. Lord, we lift up the name of Christ. And we ask that tonight that you would keep us from the evil one. Keep us from distractions. Keep us from the desires of this life, from the desires of this world. Keep us, we pray. Oh, Father, we need you, and we ask that your spirit would come. Open our eyes, incline our hearts to see wondrous things from your word, from your law. Open our eyes to see the beautiful things of Christ. And, Lord, we ask now that Christ would be glorified, that you would strengthen us, that you would establish us, that you would glorify your name among us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The last time that we were together going through this passage in Acts chapter 14, one of the things that we had said was, or one of the things that we saw, was Paul and Barnabas going on missions trips to preach the gospel to different cities. And if you look back at chapter 14, verse 1, you'll see that Paul and Barnabas went to Iconium. They had been commissioned out of Antioch, which is out in the east, by Syria, or present-day Syria and Israel. And they sailed all the way to Iconium, and they preached the gospel. In chapter 14, verse 3, we see that the Lord bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders. And then there was a plot that happened against Paul and Barnabas. And so they wanted to kill them, and they fled. They went to Lystra, and this is where we were last time we were looking at this this chapter, And they preach the gospel. Paul sees that there's a man there who needs to be healed. He had faith to be healed. And so he says to the man, stand up on your feet. And we saw the beauty of the miracle where it was not only immediate, but it was a powerful miracle that he was able to stand up and get up and walk. It wasn't a progressive miracle, but it was an amazing miracle. And that heralded for that city, a sense of false worship. They went after Paul and Barnabas and they hailed them as the coming of Zeus and Hermes. And that backfired because they were hoping that the gospel would penetrate their hearts and that the Lord would have, would make headway into their lives. And so Paul then goes out and he tells them, what are you doing? Why are you doing these things? We're men just like you are. Stop. Doing these things, you are serving vain and useless things. And one of the things that we saw was that even in the face of God bearing witness to his word, unless God gets involved in the transformation of the heart, we're going to go further and further into idolatry. And so we saw that Paul said, Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without a witness but he can scarcely restrain them from sacrificing to them. In our text tonight, what we'll see is a huge contrast, a complete 180 that happens as Paul continues with Barnabas. They flee this city and they go. They go further east, or further, yes, further east. And they go and continue to preach the gospel. But in our text tonight, instead of the disciples that they, or, or instead of the people that they're preaching to, Hailing them as Zeus and Hermes, they come to the living God. And they turn to the living God. And here we see Paul and Barnabas strengthening the church. So if you can cut out one sentence and basically collate this together and say, what is this all about? Really... What this is about is the Lord strengthening his people, his church. And if you have a New King James Version in front of you, you'll see that the headline is strengthening the converts. The Lord strengthens his people. He establishes his people so that he is glorified in their worship. The Lord strengthens you and he establishes you with your so that God would be glorified in your worship. And so we'll break that sentence into three sections. We'll look at the strengthening of the converts. We'll look at the establishment of the church. And we'll look at the glorification of God's works. A few verses before that, before our text in verse 21, what you see is Paul having fled with Barnabas, the city of Lystra. They go west or east to the city of Derbe and something crazy happens to paul he gets stoned he gets Hurt. He gets knocked out unconscious because of the preaching of the gospel. It says in verse 19, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now, if you were to look at a map and see what is this all about and how much involvement do you have to have to come all the way this way for this man? They traveled 180 miles east. Just to find Paul. So I did a quick Google search and I said, okay, how long does it take a man to walk 90 miles? Because from Iconium or Antioch to Derb, it's 90 miles. And then all the way down where Paul and Barnabas are, it's another 90 miles. So how long does it take? It takes about maybe a day and a half if you just, if you don't stop for gas, if you don't stop at the gas station, if you keep just walking. So we'll give them we'll be generous and say, let's say it took about four or five days for them to travel just to hunt Paul down. Not only do they hunt Paul down and they find the city that he's in, but they convince and persuade the entire city, the multitudes, to go against Paul to pick up rocks and to stone him unconscious. So there is a deliberate antagonism Posed against the advancement of the gospel from both Paul and Barnabas. But Paul, in particular, was the one who was considered the vermin of the earth, the virus that needed to be eradicated, the person that needed to be obliterated from the face of humanity. And so they knock him out cold. Then the disciples gather around him, and they get up, and they go back into the city, and the next day, they go to another city. Verse 21, here we have, and when they had preached the gospel to that city, namely Derbe, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. This is the place where everyone hailed them as Zeus and Hermes, as the coming of the gods. This is the place where the Jews from Antioch came and tried to harass them. What are you doing, Paul? You can hear the murmuring in some of the families and some of the households. Paul, what are you doing? You're going back? Are you going back to the places where they were hunting you? They traveled 180 miles. That's commitment. That is commitment on a 100% level. And you're going back? Is this a wisdom issue? Do we have to question your judgment, Paul? Paul decides that he's going to go back. And the question that we ask is why? And the answer is because the church needed to be strengthened. Here you have the apostle going from city to city, getting stoned, getting thrown out, getting tossed out. But in the process, the Lord is saving people. He is changing hearts. He is knocking down every sort of resistance that the heart Builds up against the knowledge of God, and the Lord is calling people out of darkness and bringing them into His kingdom. And not only is the Lord doing this in the cities that Paul and Barnabas are going to, but now these people need to be encouraged. Why would they need to be encouraged? Well, it's easy when you're a young Christian to drift away or to be discouraged. It's easy. To see and look at the circumstances of life and seeing that there are committed men who are traveling 180 miles. Who are going and abandoning their families just to kill someone and wipe them off of the face of the planet. It's easy to say, no, I don't think I'm about that. Why did Paul do it? First... If you were to ask Paul and stand him right here and say, Paul, let's ask some questions because we have some questions. You're going and you're putting yourself in the crosshairs of danger. Why are you going back? This is what I think he would say. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 through 17. So Paul's answer would be, I need to do this. Answer number two. For we do not commend ourselves again to you. But give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compelled us. Paul and Barnabas to go back into the clear and present danger of where he had been in order to preach the gospel and strengthen the church. It doesn't matter how much theology we have. It doesn't matter how many sound teachers we have in our churches. It doesn't matter how much curriculums we have, how many curriculums that are sound and orthodox that we have. You still need to be strengthened on a daily basis because we wrestle against principalities. We wrestle against our flesh. We wrestle against the world. And this world is not neutral. There are no neutral zones in this world. And you need to be strengthened. And Paul knew this. He loved them. And he knew that they were alive because they had turned from the living God. Or they turned from idols to serve the living God. And so the connection between their life and Paul's love was that Christ loved both of them. And this was Paul's assignment. At the end of Paul's life, if you were to sit down with Paul and you say, "Was it worth it?" Was it worth getting stoned in Lystra and Derb? And was it stoned? Was it worth getting kicked out of a city and let down by a basket? Was it worth it, Paul?" Paul would probably respond, "I would do it a thousand times." In order to see my countrymen come to Christ. And the question as the searchlight of scripture comes now to your heart. Is is Christ worth it to you? Is Christ worth it to you? Well, I, you may say I'm not Paul. I don't go from city to city. I don't travel land and sea to make one convert. Paul was special. That's not me. I just work on Woodruff Road. But even still. The Lord has called you. He has brought you out of the kingdom of darkness. Is he worth it to you? Will you suffer for his namesake? Because that is coming in the next verse. Verse 22. He strengthened the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. Why would he exhort them to continue in the faith? Because there is a temptation to not continue. Every trial that we go through is aimed squarely to hit you between the eyes of your faith so that you will walk away. Are you going to walk away from Christ today? Are you going through trials that are causing you to doubt the Lord? The Lord is faithful. And this is the Christ that Paul preaches. This is why he goes back. It's not because Paul is insane. And I'm sure there were people that were saying, you are insane for putting yourself back in the line of fire. You are not wise. You are, you are telling people to follow you and imitate you, even as you imitate Christ. And yet you're putting your life on the line. Imagine families coming together for family worship. Have you heard about Paul? He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But every time I hear about him, he's getting kicked out of a city. Dad, I want to be just like Paul. No, I'm not sure about that. These are real temptations. And the question that you have to ask yourself is Is Christ worth it? Is he worth it to you? So he strengthens the church. He strengthens the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, we must, we must. This is not, an, this is not something that you can just opt out of. 2 Timothy 3.16, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. And friends, persecution is coming. By the Lord's grace, for some reason, we have not had any sort of persecution on the level that we see in places like Nigeria or Taiwan or China or other places in this world. But guaranteed, this will, this country will see persecution. And you will live through it. You may live through it. And the question then becomes, you're not going to decide then if Christ is worth it. You have to decide now. Is he worth it to you? Are you willing to risk it all? Are you willing to lose it all for the sake of Christ? Are you willing to lose your reputation? Are you willing to lose your home and family? Are you willing to lose everything for Christ? Paul said yes. In fact, I'll read you his response. Paul, are you willing? Are you really willing? Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, And in verse 8, he said he counts everything as rubbish. Barnabas, who took Paul in, who took the risk of his own reputation and took Paul in, when Paul was known for being a murderer and a blasphemer. And now Paul, his reputation always on the line, and he didn't care. This is how the church is strengthened. You need to hear this. And I need to hear this. Whether we're in seminary, whether we are walking with the Lord for 40 years, whether you're 85 years old or 5 years old, you need to hear this. This is what God has called you to. And the weight of glory far surpasses anything you could experience in this world. And that's why it's worth it. Because you will see him face to face. And he will wipe every tear from your eye. And you want to hear, well done, good, good and faithful servant. In first Peter chapter four, Paul uh, Peter says chapter four, verse fourteen, he says, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We need to be strengthened every single day of our lives, so long as you're breathing in and out You need to be strengthened. And so did these men and women who saw Paul getting kicked out of cities. And they said, is he worth it? Verse 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Or they set before the Lord these men. so we have already seen that they've already uh, strengthened the church. But now they are establishing order. And this is the pattern that we generally see throughout the scripture. God pulls a people out of darkness into covenant with him. And then he establishes order among their file and ranks. We saw that in the Exodus. We saw that throughout the history of Israel. And now we see that in the establishment of the Lord's church. As the gospel is making headway against the kingdom of Satan, as the gospel is making headway against every resistance possible, the Lord is establishing his church. Imagine you're on the enemy side and you're looking and you're saying, I want to kill every single one of those Christians. I want to destroy every one of those churches and I can't do it. Just a few months ago, or a couple of months ago, we ordained officers in this church. And in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, God demonstrates his love to his people by establishing officers in this church. Not only is it a demonstration of God's love for his church, but it is also a shaming event for the powers of Satan. Satan. Because it's a reminder to the kingdom of Satan that you cannot overtake the kingdom of the living God. And so we established officers. And so in our churches and in every congregation that Paul and Barnabas went to, they appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting. They gave themselves to the Lord. And they said, here they are, Lord. Here are your watchmen. Here are your shepherds. Here are your ministers. Here are the ones who are going to stay while we go back to Antioch. Keep them. And so they commended them to the Lord. And this is how the Lord establishes his church. Some of us may never go to Poland. Some of us may never go to Nigeria. Some of us may never go to Italy. Some of us may never go to Brazil. But as we hear what God is doing in those countries, in especially hard places, even like Greenville, and we see that the Lord is establishing his officers in his church, we must pray. We must pray that God would raise up ministers for his people, watchmen who would see the wolves coming, watchmen who would feed the sheep and not hoard all of the scriptures and all of these things to themselves. We need to pray Pray for your leaders. Pray for your ruling elders. Pray for your teaching elders. Pray for your deacons. Pray for your seminarians. And pray for your children who are being brought up in the ways of the Lord. That they too would minister the gospel in a dark world. And you don't need to go far to see how dark this world is getting. But what does John say? He gives us hope. John says that the light of Christ is already shining. And we see the light of Christ, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ shining as he establishes and strengthens his church. So, what have we seen so far? First, that God strengthens his church. That God loves to strengthen his people. That God loves to establish order in his churches. And what do the apostles do? Verse 24. They glorify the works of the Lord. Verse 24. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. So they're going south now. And they're on their way back to Antioch. There's two Antiochs. There's an Antioch West and an Antioch East. Antioch East is by Syria and Israel. And this is where they were originally commissioned to do their work. And they went all the way to Asia Minor, and now they're on their way back down. They went down to Italia. From there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended, or literally, they had been handed over. We see the word commended twice in this passage. We see it in verse 23, where they commended them to the Lord. This commending is the literally putting before the Lord in prayer. And the commending that we see in verse 26 is the setting apart of Paul and Barnabas for a specific mission. And they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now, when they had come come and gathered the church together, they reported, or literally, they glorified all the works All that God had done with them, and that He opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. What an amazing thing. Paul going from synagogue, this is his strategy. He goes from city to city, he goes into the synagogue, he listens, he's asked to go ahead and give a little sermon. He shares the gospel with Jews, and there are some Gentile God-fearers there. They kick him out of the synagogue, and the Gentiles are begging him, please, please tell us more about this, because we believe in your God. We can't be with your people, but we believe in your God. Tell us. And so the door of faith is opened to the Gentiles. This is an answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17. I have many sheep that are not of this fold. And I pray for them. Those who would believe based on their word. And guess what, Wydjofrud? That's you. God has opened the door of faith to all of you. And the only reason why you are here is because God in his grace has opened the door of faith for you to believe. And what do they do? They glorify the works of of God. And this should cause us to worship. The fact that we have been brought out of darkness, brought into a restored fellowship with the Lord. Every Lord's Day, this should cause you to bow your knees, your face is so low, and say, Thank you, God. Holding your hand over your mouth and saying, I don't deserve to be here. The only thing that we've contributed to our salvation is our sin. We don't deserve to be here, but God has called us into his presence. God has called you by name into his presence. And if you don't believe me, look throughout the entire scripture and you see God calling people by their names. And so he calls you. And the report goes out. And what's interesting is that we have a report Within a report, we have the report of Paul and Barnabas to the church at Antioch to demonstrate what God had done. And we have Luke's report to show us the bigger picture of what God is doing. What an amazing God we have. There's nothing in this world that can satisfy us. You will travel land and sea To find the things that can satisfy you, and you will never find it. John Owen says, we were created so that we would be satisfied by God himself. Where are your satisfactions today? Is Christ worth it? Do you rejoice in the establishment of God's church? Or is this, even tonight, right here, you're sitting here listening to the preaching, is this just a footnote to your week? The Lord created the Sabbath so that the entirety of the cosmos would revolve around the works of Christ. And here we get to hear the works of Christ. David says in Psalm 145, He says, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And listen to this, parents. Because this is for you and all of those who want to be fathers and mothers in this church. This is for you. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Imagine going to Antioch and sitting with Paul and Barnabas. Tell me, what did the Lord do in Derby? Tell me, what did the Lord do in Lystra? I heard you got kicked out and you got stoned. What did the Lord do? Let me tell you about the wonderful works of the Lord. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. This is what David says in Psalm 145, and I'm sure this is what Paul was saying. Do you declare the works of God? even to your own families? Are you watching? Are you paying attention to the wonders of what God is doing? The Lord strengthens His people and establishes them so that His people would glorify the Lord in their worship. And would you the Lord strengthens you and establishes you so that in your worship, God is glorified. And so to wrap things up, to bring these things to a close, we ask the question, how, how then, how then can I be strengthened? Well, first, establish a time in your week to spend time in God's word. I know this sounds very rote and mundane, but every single, if you need food for your stomach, you also need food for your soul. You need to be reminded day in and day out of what God has done in your life and what God has done in the history of his people. Read your Bibles. If you're one of those people that say, well, I'm not good at scheduling. Well, everyone who grows in the grace and the knowledge of Christ makes it a point To schedule time to be with their Savior. So be with your Savior. Second, unless you are providentially hindered, make every effort to be with God's people. This is what we see in verse 28. So they stay there a long time with the disciples. Make every effort to be with God's people. And this includes Wednesday nights. Imagine if the Lord makes all of his desires to happen in this world through prayer, imagine 450, 500 people coming together on Wednesday night. Michelle Shore is probably saying, you better RSVP. (laughs) But imagine, we're praying for revival. We're praying for the outpouring of the Spirit. We have a missions conference coming up. We have all of these good things that God is doing here at Woodruff Road. But imagine if 450 people... Woodruff Road comes together every single Wednesday night and we pray and ask the Lord just like the disciples did. That he would pour out his spirit on Greenville, on Duncan, on Simpsonville, Five Forest, wherever we are. There's no telling what the Lord would do. Make every effort to be with God's people. Third, stay away from everything in this life that would prevent you from pursuing holiness. Do whatever it takes. And if you don't know what those things are, ask the Lord, Lord, please help me. Show me the areas of my life that are preventing me from growing and knowing you. And the Lord will. And those times may be hard for you. But look forward to those times. Forth be fervent in your prayers for our missionaries. There are people that are traveling to other countries, putting their lives on the line, just like Paul and Barnabas did. They are putting their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel. Some are here, some are already there. You may not be traveling. You may not be going to those places like I've said before, but you can pray because the Lord hears even the most feeble of prayers from the most feeble of his saints. You don't have to be John Knox. You don't have to be Charles Spurgeon to come before the throne of grace. He has called you to come before his throne. So you pray for the missionaries. Sometimes the spiritual warfare that they face is a sense of apathy, a loss of zeal, a backhanded comment from a family member that sucks out all of the life in their work. Pray for them. Fifthly, pray for your leaders here. That they would pursue the peace and the purity of God's church. That they would be faithful all the days of their lives. And finally... Sometimes it's easier to commend others to the grace of God, but leave ourselves out of the picture. We say, we'll be praying for you. Or I'll be praying for you. But I'm going to press this home just a little further. Be in other people's lives. Don't be content with just saying, how are you in the breezeway. Ask them, how are you? There's a difference between how are you, and how are you, besides inflection. Ask them. And when you tell them that you are going to pray for them, stop right there and pray for them. Prayer for other people is not reserved for the officers and the interns of the church. Because we are called to pray always. And in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you. So be in other people's lives. There is a reason why Paul always uses the metaphor of being knit together or a body. Because when one thread is out of place, the whole sweater is done. Or when one part of the body is not working, the whole body feels the pain. Which means every single one of you that I can see matters before the Lord. And all of, all of you are called to one another. So pray. Pray be in other people's lives. When we come together every Lord's Day and we close out every Lord's Day, we sing about the wonderful works of the Lord. He strengthens you, He establishes you so that you would glorify the Lord for all the things that He's done. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You that we have examples like Paul who point us to Christ. We thank you for our Savior who loved us and gave his life for us, dying on a tree. We thank you that you've raised him up in power. And now, because he lives, we live. Father, help us, strengthen us, establish us, so that all of our praises would go to you. In Christ's name.